This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is David Ertel, CFO of Vizian, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 607. There's kind of a handoff that happens between marketing and sales. Once there's an opportunity that's been established, your sales pipeline journey begins. And it is is extremely important to be able to accurately measure, track these uh, these opportunities and the dollar value of them. I go a step further and I, I actually look at the incremental opportunities or incremental leads or incremental MQLs created for that particular week. Turn back the clock 23 years ago, and Angaris Korapati was a controller for a billion-dollar business unit of Allstate Insurance. It was then that Angaris decided to thwart the conventional career wisdom of his Allstate colleagues and step into the world of tech startups. A path he has continued to go down to this very day and which has opened the door to multiple CFO tours of duty. We speak to Engerus about his latest chapter at Reversing Labs and take him back to revisit a number of his early chapters after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Angaris Kurapati, CFO of Reversing Labs. Angaris, welcome. Thank you, Jack. I really appreciate it, and I really look forward to uh, sharing uh, some of my thoughts here on your podcast. Well, thank you so much, uh, Angaris, and we're going to begin. I-, I think you you might know where we always do, which is to ask our guests to look back for us and share with us some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, so uh, my uh, my experience uh, uh, has been um, both, I would say, somewhat traditional, but also a little bit non-traditional. Uh, in that I'm originally from uh, from India, and uh, I, I came to the United States uh, in the late '80s uh, to get an MBA at George Washington University, um, and I got uh, recruited by a very large insurance company, Allstate Insurance. Uh, in their Washington, D.C. area division. And that was about a $1.2 billion in revenues at that time. So I I started at the bottom as a financial analyst and, uh, uh, you know, quickly got uh, promoted uh, through the ranks and ultimately uh, was chosen to be the uh, division controller um, with um, a fair number of, uh, you know, direct reports uh, within that uh, division. Uh, typical, very large company, uh, you know, stayed, you know, environment, uh, but also the experience was invaluable. Uh, it really gave me a good grounding on uh, looking at, you know, how to build structured thinking within, you know, running a finance function and, and doing this at scale. So 
to this day, I still draw some of my, uh, you know, experiences from uh, from that time frame. But um, so after about seven years, I uh, I moved from Washington D.C. to uh, to the Boston area in the late '90s. Uh, for you know, I got married. My wife was from uh, from New England, and uh, she certainly didn't want to go to Chicago, which uh, was you know <laughs> the direction that I, I was heading in. So anyway, I packed my car and I moved to Boston. Um, and late '90s, as as you know, there was a there was a tech frenzy, you know, going on, and I I dove deep into it. So I joined a um, uh, a raw startup called Core Change, and um, and I joined there as a corporate controller. And I was reporting to a CFO who happened to be an investment banker from Goldman Sachs at the time, and he himself was giving you know startup world a shot. So you know, talk about two misfits, uh, you know, joined together in a, in a, in an experiment called a startup. Right. So, uh, was that a dot com? Was that a dot com or well, no? it wasn't a dot com, but, uh, but it was actually, uh, it was a legit, um, you know, software enterprise software company. In fact, uh, core change was the pioneer in something called single sign on and role based access control. Those two, features are ubiquitous in just about any kind of enterprise related workflow that you know you and I have been you know used to for a couple of decades now so um, you know much like many uh, other startups that uh, you know pioneer an idea sometimes a little early and a little ahead of uh, its time uh, you, you know may or may not end up um, you know owning the uh, the market for it so uh, CoreChange was one of those companies. I spent uh, probably four or five years at CoreChange uh, while the, um, uh, the ultimate you know, uh, business outcome for that company was, wasn't extremely positive. Uh, the, the learning experiences ended up becoming really uh, you know, positive for me. Um, once my, you know, within about a year and a half, uh, the investment banker CFO uh, went back to New York and um, that allowed me to get my first break as a VP of finance and ultimately the CFO of the company. And, uh, and what it really taught me, Jack, was to, uh, uh, is the importance of uh, always looking ahead. Because in those days, in, in those types of startup environments, uh, you went through these cyclical periods of excesses and significant constraints. So you raised $30 million. Uh, and, uh, you know, within within about you know, 18 months or so, you were, uh, you were again looking for, uh, you know, the next round of financing, right? So the importance of these, you know, the ability to consistently forecast, look ahead, uh, look around the corner, uh, and, and consistently do scenario planning becomes invaluable in, in trying to manage the business during, you know, during those cyclical type periods. So that has always stuck with me. So that's a huge lesson that I took away from it. Um, you know, fast forward a couple more years, I uh, I actually then uh, joined another uh, software company. This time it was a cybersecurity software company that uh, also happened to be a pioneer in something called automated penetration testing, which is again back in back in those days it was uh, more of a, a consultant's um, stock and trade to be able to conduct uh, penetration testing of your IT environment and understanding what type of uh, you know malware threats uh, were present. Uh, but in in this company's case, the, we we had uh, developed an automated software that did that. And um, um, what this company involved was, um, you know was basically a, um, uh, an environment where I was able to come in and, and, and really build out the, uh, the finance team, uh, you know, appropriate with the scale of the company. And, and I focused a lot inward, you, you know, uh, internally, operationally uh, focused, uh, you, you know, part of the, uh, part of the activities. Um, what I had failed to, uh, you know, focus on at the time was as a CFO to build uh, important relationships with uh, 
with external parties such as you know the board members, the investors, uh, outside of your typical you know scheduled board meetings. Uh, these are important relationships that a CFO ought to be building. Um, as a result of uh, or the lack of uh, of that that type of uh, relationship building, um, you know, led to um, you, you know led to a change in uh, you know CFOs at the time, uh, along with a change in the CEO. So when there was a change in CEOs made by the board, uh, I did not survive that change as a result of the new CEO picking coming with their own partner, which is typical sometimes. But uh, but so uh, it was kind of a pivotal moment for me at the time in my career. So uh, I did some uh, reflections, did some thinking, and uh, so I got myself a coach. Um, I worked with this guy. Uh, he was a coach. Typically, actually, he was coaching, uh, you know, startup CEOs, and uh, and so one of one of the CEOs I knew uh, recommended this person to me, and and I and I hired him personally. I worked with him for I don't know maybe six to nine months, and um, uh, the approach was obviously he he made me set my own goals, uh, set the agenda. And his job was to constantly challenge me and hold me accountable to ensuring that uh, I did all the things that I claimed I wanted to do. Um, you know, oftentimes this guy was a real pain in the neck. I did not look forward to these calls with him sometimes because, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't, you know, following up as well as I should have been, but I stuck with it. I stuck with it and, uh, and, and it really helped me to, um, uh, to become a better CFO. Uh, and it helped me become a better partner to my, my CEOs, you know, since then. Uh, and most importantly, uh, you know, uh, become a much better communicator with my boards and uh, a relationship builder as well. So it served me really well since then. But um, so those are those are some very personal, you know, examples that, uh, uh, you know, that come from what you might call as uh, uh, I wouldn't call them failures uh, as businesses or experiences, but they're they're probably you know you could look at them as not being extremely positive. However, in each but those two were were really instrumental in 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 you know developing me and making me more successful uh, since then. I I have to say there there are a couple of things you've mentioned that really I, I found very interesting. Um, one is that, of course, that that first chapter where you leave Allstate. Now you're you're a fairly experienced controller as you step into this new world uh, up in Boston of, of tech startups, and uh, still you're not the most likely of candidates. It was such an unusual environment. It was attracting all types of people, such as the investment banker who uh, you first collaborated with, I guess, and and yourself. And again, it was the valuations, I would imagine, of the companies, the tech companies were enjoying. And um, then I look at your tenure, uh, you know, at that first company, you were there five years, you got through the uh, the dot com collapse. So to me, it's pretty remarkable. A lot of companies didn't, but it had to be tough. It had to be a tough, tough. How am I doing? Am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You, you're hitting all the you're hitting all the right notes, actually. So you're, you're making me relive. <laughs> <laughs> those five years as you speak. And, but. and the thing we keep on hearing over and over again is that, you know, one of the most challenging things about becoming a CFO is that usually you have to be one. So this company provided you the path to do that, to get the stripe on the sleeve. And then you, you shared that wonderful anecdote about the coach because, you know, you get there, but there's more to learn and there's more development. And you can't identify it always on your own. Like I said, right, when, when when you're deep in the trenches and when you're the CFO of a software company, I mean, you you know, controller at a division of Allstate, I had 25 people in my team. Um, when I come to this, this startup company, I had uh, one who reported to me. So right there, you, you know, you, you, you had this whole culture clash, uh, both, you know, both culturally, as well as, uh, you know, professionally, uh, where we re I really had to roll up my sleeves and do a lot of things myself that, uh, um, you, you know, and, and more importantly, uh, you, you know, the, your, your mindset as a CFO has to very quickly be adapted, adaptable to the situation in the sense that, 
you know, one year's worth of revenues and expenses and, you know, everything that's financial at core change was equivalent to about one day's worth of all of those metrics in, uh, you know, at, at my division within Allstate. So what I might consider as a rounding error at Allstate was a meaningful you know, metric or a meaningful amount of money that could that could make a big difference in you know the financial condition of the business. So, so you know, recognizing and quickly adapting and 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 being proactive as opposed to reacting is is super important in in this type of a transition. Now, uh, it seems to me that you had it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that you would be staying in the uh, startup or high growth corridor for uh looking forward uh, yeah is that did you did you really know it was home uh i i i would be lying to you if i said uh i did not have uh second thoughts or third thoughts or tenth thoughts about about going back to the about going back to the, the large enterprise world but you know what the um the the adrenaline that uh that the adrenaline rush you get from being in these types of situations and and you truly feel like you're making a massive impact uh you just don't get that feeling in a very large company um uh, despite you know having that controller title uh this is this is a this is a whole different ball uh you know ball game all right well uh thank you for a, a really nice overview for us and we want to uh, just jump now to uh, reversing labs you've had several i'll mention there you've had several cfo tours of duty including one recently where you were there nearly six years so you're you're now uh, a fairly seasoned cfo as you arrive here but tell us about let's just begin by asking you about reversing labs what does this company do exactly what are its offerings Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to go uh, a, a little bit, uh, you know, off track from what you might encounter on our website. I'm going to try to put this in in plain English, and uh, and so, you know, the way I'd like to think about Reversing Labs is is Reversing Labs delivers insights on something called destructive digital objects that may be lurking within your enterprise. And, and, and a large enterprise has these cavernous systems in place, right? So uh, by providing these insights, we're helping the security operations teams within these companies to become significantly more efficient uh, within their workflows. And, and their workflows essentially boil down to uh, identifying and prioritizing threats and, and, and figuring out what to do about these threats. So. To the extent that reversing labs helps these security analysts to whittle down uh, thousands of uh, alerts uh, down to you know under a hundred or under fifty per day uh, is is a major improvement in in their efficiency and and it really helps them to be you know make their companies more secure. So so in a nutshell, uh, reversing labs you know provides you know actionable insights about malware that is lurking within you know uh, enterprises in a much better way in a much more robust and organized way than than any other uh solution that's uh, that's in place right now so how do we go about doing this so simply we we just we have a core engine uh that is able to ingest uh, a vast amount of data so millions of files millions of emails uh, that that you typically would find in a large organization on a daily basis that come through, uh, and and any kind of media, whether it's you know digital content, video, uh, sound recordings. Think about you know movie uh, companies. Uh, there's all kinds of files. In fact, there are thousands and thousands of types of uh, files that uh, where you know a typical finance leader may be exposed to a few you know you've got the pdfs and the excel files and the word documents and you know maybe about five or six others but I, as a as a matter of fact there's there's thousands of them and reversing labs is able to ingest all of that um and it's we we have a core engine that is able to deconstruct each and every file down to its very very small components 
think about like when you buy a buy a you know a lawn tractor or or something like that. When you open the uh, the, the owner's manual, you typically see one of those exploded views of uh, you know of, of that vehicle. Uh, so think about a file as exactly like that. You just explode the file into like very, very small components. Well, why do we do that? Because the bad actors uh, actually go and embed uh, potential malware attributes within within those small components. And unless you unless you unpack them and unless you go and, and analyze those components, there's no way you're going to be able to figure those things out. So, so our engine is able to unpack them and and do it in a, at a rapid scale, um, and 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 we do this based on you know millions of files within milliseconds. So I think if, uh, if my numbers are right, it's about five milliseconds, and and then we go and compare uh, these uh, these attributes against a very large library of about ten billion samples of malware, goodware uh, samples, and, and we're able to correlate and, and figure out uh, the, um, the exact attributes and um, uh, the classification of each file. And then we provide all of this information into you know, very detailed and actionable insights uh, in a consumable way to, to our end customer. So, so this whole act of uh, you know correlating and comparing and providing the insights is is impossible uh, obviously on a human scale so we we employ um some very sophisticated machine learning techniques to to be able to do that um and and the fact that we're able to provide these insights goes beyond what typically you hear about machine learning these days it's a huge buzzword but we take it to the next step next level which is explainability. So um, without the explainability of the insights, all you get is a black box of you know what, whether it was a malware or not. Whereas with the explainability, it's basically think about it as a glass box. So it's a box, but you can look through it, you can understand everything within it. And it's pretty powerful to have that kind of information and our customers really appreciate having that. So, 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 you know, so again, to bring this back home to, you know, your listeners, um, why should you care? Why should a finance leader, you know, care about this? Right. So I, I have two, you know, a couple of simple questions. So, you know, think about your company. Do you guys do, you know, any kind of hiring? Do you have an applicant tracking system in place? You probably do. Um, do you, you know, if you're hiring, uh, you know, a thousand employees, you know, a quarter or, uh, you know, five, two, three, four thousand people a year, you know, you have very robust applicant tracking systems. You're doing a tremendous amount of sourcing and you're ingesting. This is the key part. You're ingesting information, files, data from external parties hundreds and thousands of external parties that you have no way of controlling, you know, the, uh, the quality of those files that are coming in. You got resumes, you got cover letters and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, so, um, if you have that, that's a threat vector. So that's, that's the perfect, you know, use case for what reversing labs would be able to help with. Um, if you have internal audit requirements, uh, you, you know, if you're if you're auditing your internal controls, which most big companies have to do, uh, typically one of the requirements is you're able you, you're required to provide a um, a historical view of potential uh, you know threats or compromised threats within your IT controls and security controls as portion of your internal controls. So. The best way to do that is is through you know through the solution like reversing labs where you know you, you get to the most minute level details. So, um, so those those are two real examples that I think could uh, resonate pretty well with uh, with the finance leader. Now you've been there as CFO of reversing labs. Uh, you arrived towards the end of 2018, I believe. So you've been there. Uh, they'll come up on two years this fall. What did you need to do? Uh, as you arrived, you had a set of priorities. Did you reorganize finance? Was there something fundamental that changed? What would you tell us? Uh, all, all of the above. Uh, yes. Um, 
So I, I um, uh, obviously, uh, I was in conversations with, uh, you know, with the company for uh, a few months uh, before I before I accepted, you know, the, the position. And uh, along the way, I got a pretty good sense for, you know, what, what I was going to be walking into. So I had the uh, I had the um, the ability to uh, put in, you know, formulate a plan, a draft plan of what I wanted to do, you know, within, you know, your typical 30, 60, 90 day plans. But but beyond that, you know, uh, beyond that into the 12, 12 months and 24 months and so on. But um, but when I but when you with any situation, uh, you always find out a lot more. Uh, you, you know, when you're there, really, right? So, so when I joined the company, um, pretty quickly, uh, I, I met with a couple of the board members who who gave me a laundry list of uh, things that were on their, you know, wish list. Of, uh, so they immediately became my priorities, um, and uh, so, and and those were pretty pretty simple blocking and tackling type matters. So uh, the company was uh, simply not. Uh, you know, producing financial statements on a monthly basis, for example. Uh, that's pretty basic stuff that, uh, you know, we had to get done. There were uh, a couple of years of audits pending, or there was a couple of years of, uh, you know, stock valuations pending. Uh, there were employees waiting for about a year to get their stock options issues pending these valuations. So, so there were some very immediate, important, you, you know, um, laundry list of items to take care of um obviously oh by the way and and i joined in december and uh, um we had a board meeting coming up in mid january of 2019 and uh, i had to deliver a uh, a plan an annual plan for 2019 so i had all of about 30 days to uh, understand the business understand the people uh, understand the processes and build a plan uh, and and get a, get it approved by the board. So um, those are all fun stuff. So we got it all done, um, and then I focused on uh, uh, clearly these are all symptoms, right? So if you just step back, why did this happen? Uh, these are just symptoms of uh, underlying problems within 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 the team, or and some of the sometimes these problems, you know. So my my immediate quest was to understand: are these skill gaps? Or are they uh, are they something else? And um, um, so, you know, long story short, uh, I, I think uh, I found that they were both. There were both some skill gaps, and there was probably some motivational gaps. So, the motivational aspect of it, I was able to, you know, instill fairly quickly. Uh, the skill gaps, you know, took a little bit more time. Uh, I reached. Oh, by the way, I also have um, oversight. Uh, into human resources at the company. So I'm, I'm the finance leader as well as the HR leader. So uh, I made changes on both fronts. And I made changes on both fronts by reaching back into my relationships at uh, my previous company. So I hired a director of HR who is fabulous. And I've worked with her now for over 10 years. And I uh, hired a controller who I've worked with for the last three years. So. Uh, and 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 I was very confident in 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 them being aligned with my vision for uh, both finance and human resources and and their ability to uh, you know work with me to bring that to fruition. Along the way, one would imagine that uh, there were certain numbers when you first arrived that uh, you just couldn't you couldn't see, you couldn't lay your eyes on regularly. And uh, the information wasn't coming forth the way you would have liked it. Can you tell us uh, how you went about improving uh, your lines of sight into the organization? Yeah. So um, the most important aspect of a CFO's job is to, to look ahead. Uh, you know, looking behind and getting all the historical, the scorekeeping and the bean counting and all of that stuff, th those are table stakes, right? Uh, those are given, you have to have them. Uh, but most importantly, you have to be able to look forward and look around the corner, uh, look for things before they, they hit you. So the way you do that is through understanding the business, understanding 
and and then connecting the dots between what are the present uh, and uh, the the near future challenges uh, of the business and 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 picking the right metrics that um, uh, that would align with those challenges because metrics give you information and information gives you the ability to make decisions. Um, but metrics, in order to get the right kind of metrics, you have to have good systems in place, underlying systems, or essentially, you know, a way of tracking data. Uh, if you don't have uh, the right kind of systems, it becomes an incredibly manual process. Um, fortunately, there there are there were some systems in place, um, but but again, when if you simply have the systems and not the right kind of process or discipline, it's essentially garbage in, garbage out, right? So. Um, so I had to focus on uh, instilling the uh, the importance of consistency, uh, you know, repeatability of uh, of building a database of um, uh, of activities, so that we could then measure them, and um, uh, and and then be able to you know look at look at look at these metrics for the purposes of uh, uh, decision making. So. Uh, that's that's that that's uh, I don't know. Does that answer you uh, answer the question? Just trying to understand better what was the, sort of the activity or the the business dynamic that you were seeking to measure or make more visible. Uh, oftentimes, uh, in um, you know venture backed uh, companies like Reversing Labs, like any like any other startup company, uh, the focus is primarily on growing the top line uh, and and because there's there's a fair amount of you know certainty as to you know what you know if you're following your plan you know where you're you know allocating capital and where you're spending you know the types of resources that you're acquiring and so on and so forth the uh, the big unknown is the top line um, because you're in in somewhat of a, a newer you know, ecosystem and a market, and, and and so you have to rely on proxies to be able to um, get those leading indicators. However, the important metrics that I focus on is you know primarily around um, pipeline creation. In fact, goes you know goes one step above you know creating the marketing funnel. So I'm looking at leads. Uh, the raw leads. I'm looking at uh, you know those raw leads being qualified, so they're called marketing qualified leads. So that tells me as to you know we are we are spending X amount on marketing and and demand generation activities. So they then you know generate these leads. But ultimately, if the conversion from raw leads to market M MQLs are, are low, then it tells us that we are probably targeting a wrong segment, um, and and or it tells us that the the our our processes, our activities surrounding that conversion process from talking to these prospects and converting them into marketing qualified leads, uh, there, there, there's some skill gaps there. So then you try to go uh, you know uh, go into the underlying reasons for them. The other things I like to focus on is something called uh, opportunities. The opportunities is basically sales opportunities, which is essentially a, uh, a cascading uh, metric coming off of the marketing qualified leads. There's kind of a handoff that happens between marketing and sales. So once there's an opportunity that's been established, uh, your, your sales pipeline journey begins. And it is, it is extremely important to, to be able to accurately measure uh, and track these, uh, these opportunities and the dollar value of them. Uh, I go a step further and I, I actually look at the incremental opportunities or incremental leads or incremental MQLs created for that particular week. And um, so, and, and, I, and I share that information with the team so that uh, everyone knows that this this is something that we're we're laser focused on, um, and and ultimately you know it also when we think about this on a weekly basis it allows us to look at uh, these metrics on a trend line basis. I hate looking at a metric in uh, in isolation. 
Uh, if you give me a metric for something, you know, well, this month we did 5,000, we generated 5,000 leads. Well, it really doesn't tell me much. Uh, how did it compare with over the last six months or over the last one year? You know, how many up? So you, you get my drift, right? So uh, because you, you can make decisions based on trend lines, not based on one particular data point. And in order to get the trend line, you got to have you got to have the underlying discipline. You got to have the underlying systems in place. So because once you have the sales pipeline, then it gives us the ability to forecast um, revenues for not just this current quarter, but, you know, you develop certain ratios and relationships where between the sales pipeline and the end, you know, the, the sales orders uh, and, and, and that's how you get visibility into, you know, two, three, four quarters ahead. And the more robust your forecasting system and forecasting process, uh, the better you are at uh, managing your business in a very capital efficient way. So you you have the ability to either dial back your uh, costs if you if you don't see that that kind of pipeline developing, or you have the ability to you, you know um, you know pour some more gas on uh, uh, you know on the hot stuff, right? So. Uh, so it's a pretty important, it's, 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 this is basic. I mean, I, hopefully all finance leader, leaders actually know this stuff, but putting it in practice is, requires a lot of work and, and, and it's, it's worthwhile spending a lot of time on doing this part of the um, exercise. I, I think you, you explained it really well. I like the way you said this handoff from marketing to sales because as uh, some of the forecasting uh approaches have matured over the last 20 years, which is basically the trajectory of your CFO career. Uh, again, you've had multiple uh, roles over that period as CFO. Uh, you've seen how that handoff, that connection has become more exposed to finance. At first, I have to believe finance was thought to be, what are you doing here? But you know that's where finance needs to be today. And in more forward-looking uh, organizations, it's been there for ten years. In some, there's still it's still dysfunctional, and still certain companies that the sales and marketing folks are looking at the finance person across the table. Right. You know, I mean, the the, the advantage of uh, having uh, having some miles uh, under your feet uh, means that you've you've probably gone through uh, a few economic uh, cycles, right? And uh, so. When you think about the economic cycles of the early 2000s, uh, the economic cycles of from the you know 2008 to 2010, 11 timeframe uh, before you, you know the recovery started, uh, and and when you look at what's happening now, uh, there, there's there's incremental, substantial uh, improvements uh, happening in in the involvement of of the finance leader uh, and his or her place in the business uh, as it relates to the operational aspects of the business uh, that may be miles away from, from the traditional financial uh, stewardship roles. But actually, if you think about it, you know, the way I like to think about it and I like to talk about things is each and every action and decision within a business is a financial decision. Uh, whether it involves, you know, dollars and cents, you know, in, in the in the here and now, if you just step back and think about it, it all has a financial impact. So to the extent that um, finance leaders can become uh, helpful, um, you know, advocates to, to their peers, and uh, as opposed to being, you know, naysayers to budgets and so on and so forth, you still have, you know, there's still an elegant way of uh, achieving those, you, you know, the, the, those things. You still have to be able to do those things. But, but at the same time, equally important, um, you have to be the arbiters of truth. And the arbiters of truth, in this sense, is via the metrics. So there's a healthy relationship between marketing and sales. And there's also a healthy um, uh, standoff sometimes that happens between marketing and sales. Sales is dependent on marketing for uh, for feeding its pipeline, and marketing is um, is somewhat powerless in terms of how their work ultimately ends up in terms of revenues because 
you, you know, it's 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 carried out by people that don't report into marketing. So, uh, so in order to be a, a referee or the uh, or, or arbiter of the truth between, you, you know, what's uh, what's being you know more effective or not is where the CFO can can really help by. Uh, being that trusted uh, advisor and trusted partner to both marketing and sales, and um, and 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 use the metrics as as a way to have those conversations. It seems to me that your first CFO opportunity was tied to an economic cycle, meaning that the dot com collapse really and nine eleven and nine eleven sent the economy into a tailspin. This pandemic, which allows us to segue into this current environment. It's challenging times, clearly. And uh, everybody will remember where they were, I think, in 2020. And you are at uh, Reversing Labs. Tell us, can you just take a step back uh, in, to, to March for us or February and maybe uh, explain to us uh, uh, the initial steps you took as a finance leader to, to manage the business? We... Um... I have to admit that this is this is probably the most difficult um, part of uh, of any kind of an economic cycle that uh, that I have experienced, only because uh, it's it's really difficult to uh, a it's happening at at, at a global scale uh, and it's happening all at once at a global scale and uh, the. Uh, uh, the recovery from from this is uh, somewhat, you know, is is on the one hand dependent on uh, you know some medical breakthroughs that uh, that everyone is sort of holding their breath uh, on and waiting for, and that that you know various experts say could be six months, could be eighteen months, could be twenty four months. So right there, you've got an, an extreme variability into when that's going to happen. Um, and on the other hand, uh, you, you know, I don't want to go too much into the political aspect of things, but uh, you have different countries responding differently to 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 this pandemic, uh, and um, who knows what you, you know economic outcomes that's going to produce, depending on how the reopening of the economy uh, happens around the world, right? So, so taking all of this into consideration. Um, there's only one way to think about it when when you're when you're a finance leader and and that way is or at least that's that's the way I think about it is to say how can how can I gain as much uh, runway for the business by runway I mean you, you know the ability to um, uh, run the business on on our existing resources um, how much runway can we get so that we have a reasonable, uh, reasonable, you know, success rate of getting through the getting through these tough situations, and be in a position to um, uh, to 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 course correct or or to start growing, uh, you know, at the rates that we all expected to grow at that time. So, and and the way to do that is is to look at uh, multiple you know scenarios with the um, you know with the information that that's available. Uh, but but again, traditionally available information uh, may not necessarily work. So I have my pipeline information, I have my conversion, you know, metrics, I have my, you know, all of that. But if I were to simply go based on those those metrics, I probably would come to a wrong conclusion about what I think the uh, uh, our sales would end up being. So, you know. Then you—that's where the scenario planning comes into play, and you start to look at some worst-case scenarios and and start to start to really, you know, your your annual or by you know biannual uh, you know semi-annual planning exercise becomes literally a monthly or a weekly or a, uh, you know a much more frequent planning exercise, so that you're you're nimble and able to react um, from a cost and capital allocation standpoint. Uh, as your you know top line, you know forecast change from week to week. Um, you know how did we approach this uh, back in February and March? Uh, back in February and March, the information we had was that the the pandemic was well. They were still not quite calling it a pandemic in February or March, uh, early March at least. 
And uh, but very quickly, you know, we 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 started to, you, you know, um, we obviously kept tabs with uh, what was happening in the industry, what was happening in in my peer network of uh, of you know finance leaders that uh, that you know that I'm part of. Uh, and uh, generally, you call us towards uh, towards this, you know, a uh, somewhat of a group think about you know how to go about you know managing the business. But again, you have to apply that group think to your specific you know situation. For example, you know the security cybersecurity space um, theoretically is should be uh, less affected by uh, by this pandemic than. Then obviously, you know some of the um, some of the other consumer-related businesses that are not online, right? So, um, why? Because all of a sudden, you know, millions of people have gone, you know, from working in offices to working remotely, and and that remote work environment has meant them uh, utilizing you know technology in a way that sometimes. You know the security teams and uh, IT teams within their own companies have had to make exceptions on, uh, in order to make um, you, you know the work life more uh, easier to you know use on a day to day basis. So this is this is a this is a threat vector that that that's opened up, and it's no secret. I mean, it's 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 been opened up to a lot of the bad actors and um, uh, much more. Uh, of the business has has actually uh, gone, uh, you know, online and digital, and and that means uh, that means there's there's you, you know more opportunity for uh, uh, for malware to uh, you know uh, spread itself within within the ecosystem. So, uh, but it remains to be seen uh, as to you know beyond the very large publicly traded uh, security companies. As to how that uh, trickles down across the entire security uh, industry, which is a vast and uh, uh, has thousands of companies, uh, we are seeing we are seeing definitely more interest as reversing labs. Uh, there's a lot more uh, people, uh, you know, knocking on on our door to understand what we do and how we do it and uh, how it would uh, you know help protect them more. So. Um, so if that's an indication, then then I think uh, I think those are uh, the right uh, predictions about uh, the cybersecurity industry. Well, we're up to our what we like to call our signature question, where we ask you to share a time in your finance career when you experienced a finance strategic moment, and you've had many many of these uh, during the course of your career. A moment of strategic insight that later empowered you as a finance leader to drive change within your organization, avoid a risk, whatever it may have been. What comes to mind when we asked for a finance strategic moment? I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I would say that the um, reflection and uh, working with uh, with the executive uh, coach for you, you know back uh, I don't know fifteen years ago. Uh, for a good and and by the way, I I actually ended up uh, uh, working with him for very brief uh, periods, just just sort of a, as a refresher, uh, off and on since then. But I li I like the way, by the way, how you you explained how you didn't always like to hear what he had to say. Yeah. Uh, and and again, I mean that's a that's a big part of understanding what what others see, what we don't see. Yeah. And 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 really accepting accepting feedback, uh, you know, is is not easy. It's not always easy, right? Especially when it's when it's when it's something that's core to you or core to your uh, you, you, you know your characteristics or or or, or especially if, if it's if it's around those attributes within uh, of you that that you want to change or you need to change. In order to become be more successful, uh, those are the hardest. Yeah, I, I think it's a great uh, it's a great piece of advice because I think there are many uh, senior finance executives out there who have thought about this. Like, ah, maybe I should get a coach, or you know what, Bob had a coach, but nah, I, I, I maybe maybe next year. What what finally led you to do it? I I did that uh, because 
a um, couple of things. I mean, who are you going to talk to, right? So, so, so the the thing is, you, uh, I wanted to have an honest, uh, open, honest, and judgment-free discussion with a professional who I trusted could help me achieve the uh, the end goal that I wanted. So that meant, you know. And somebody who who had the had the um, uh, the inclination to spend that kind of time with me, I could have talked to you know a CEO of mine or, or but you know those those are I mean th those are these are busy people and you know they're not necessarily there to you know spend all of their time with you right so so you this is that was one of the the driving forces for me to pick a professional coach who 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 does this you know for a living and, and, and is really good at it. And, and I thought, uh, that was the, that was the best way forward. When we return, CFO Angaris Kurapati enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly as the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're entering the uh, the mentoring round. And Gurus, we always like to begin with asking you about that first time you stepped into a CFO role. So we're going way back again with you. Um, and we're trying to give advice to the people who are confronting that first uh, week, first month, first quarter in that role. What is it that you would have told yourself way back when, uh, as you stepped into that role for the first time? What is it that piece of advice you would have liked you uh, to share <laughs> with yourself, if you could? Believe it or not, it's actually it's actually a pretty simple uh, piece of advice that uh, that that's that's actually you know available in plain sight uh in any uh you know career coaching or career advice you know forum that uh, that you may go to but it is seek a mentor or two early in your career and and continue to upscale your mentors as you continue to you know progress in your career um because they by having the right kind of mentors uh you you avoid one of the most important things which is uh not repeating mistakes that have been made by others uh and and if possible you, you know you could you could become much more strategic and much more uh, efficient about your own career without having to go through each and every mistake that uh, that you you know that you probably didn't have to make uh, I, I personally uh, did not have that. I learned things the hard way. I learned, you know, how to be an effective CFO literally on my own, except for, uh, other, except for that 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 you know that that you know the coaching aspect I talked about. But uh, if I had to, you know, if I had to rewind the tape and go back to my early days, I pro I would take this advice very seriously. Well, thank you for uh, the rewind. We're gonna asking now to reflect a little bit about your personal habits and perhaps your daily routine. Is there something that you do uh, on the personal side that you feel has contributed in some way uh, to your professional success? Um, I don't know if I can call it a, a routine or a habit, but, um, but it's a, uh, a frame of mind or uh, I guess a, uh, a, a belief a belief in uh, in 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 persistence uh which which i uh which i practice um you know sometimes um uh consciously or subconsciously but but it's 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 just part of me 
and and persistence and uh, perseverance has has helped me um, at at each step of the way and and at many different junctures in my uh, in my career. In fact, I, I talk about it with my my um, college age kids right now, and 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 and, the, and you know, I put it simply to them: is if you don't ask, you don't get. Uh, so and 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 it's and that but that's a very uh, simple way of putting it to you know to them um and they thought i was uh, you know and i've been trying to impart this to them uh right from the time when you know they would just think i was weird and and sort of geeky to be able to, you know to say, to do things like that but you know what uh recently my daughter uh, who's a junior at, uh in an engineering program she came back and told me uh, you know recounted some story about what she did uh, she was told no uh, on, on on something she was seeking, and she persisted, and she tried, and she asked, and she said, "You know, guess what? It actually worked." So, um, so yeah, so that's uh, I I, th I thought that was proof positive right there for me. Uh, boys look down nicely. If you don't ask, you don't get. We ask also for a book recommendation. Is any top of mind for you, or does one um, come to mind? Yeah, there's a there's a book that I read uh, within you know, and I keep rereading it. Uh, you know, I've been doing this now for over six months now. It's called um, Measure What Matters. It's um, it's it's been around for some time. It was written by uh, John Durr, who's the um, Chairman of uh, Kleiner Perkins, uh, the famous you know venture capital firm out in California, um, and uh, it's this book is incredibly clarifying about how to go about setting objectives and how to actually then translate those objectives into uh, specific actions. And and there's hundreds of examples on how to do how to do that, uh, and then you, you know following those specific actions with picking a metric and picking uh, something that you can track your action to, and quantifying it, and then holding yourself self accountable. It all sounds pretty simple, isn't it? But but actually, when you when you look at it and try to you know um, apply that to you know work that's that's not necessarily quantifiable. Uh, it, you know, it really forces you to think about you know every stream of work in a quantitative manner, and and when you think about it that way, you actually can you know make some big improvements. And companies like Google and Intel have been doing this for decades, and uh, clearly you know it's worked for them. Okay, we're up to our final question where we ask you to look forward finally over the next 12 months. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next year? Um, so we, uh, we were fortunate uh, to, um, uh, to, to raise a round of financing recently. So uh, we're well capitalized as a, as a company. Um, but, uh, but like I said before, uh, you, you know, you have to be able to forecast uh, and and build your forecasting abilities, whether whether you have uh, excess resources or uh, you know significant constraints. Uh, so always look forward. So with that, I'd say number one for me is to ensure that we continue to hone our forecasting abilities, um, particularly in this you know pandemic driven economy. Um, close second for me is to um, you know you talked about you know well you know mentors are busy people. But uh, you have to pay it forward. So um, I, I actually, the, the number two on my list would be to develop my direct reports. Uh, I've made a commitment to my controller. I made a commitment to my HR director that, that I would give them uh, as much mentorship as possible for them to con you know, continue to you know, uh, raise through their career tracks. Uh, and finally, um, uh, it's uh, it's all about strengthening, you know, our business infrastructure, um, you know, where we continue to, you know, automate uh, our processes as much as possible. So it's it's just makes, you know, information gathering easier and uh, uh, managing the business better. So so, you know, improving forecasting. Uh, taking care of uh, you know my uh, my people, and third is you know strengthening the um, 
the business infrastructure. I'd say those three are probably top of mind for me. And Gaurus Kaurapati, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. Really appreciate it and enjoyed this. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.